it, it is, it's all about the thinking. How do we take the thinking roadblock out of this? And I think we break it down into simple steps. Don't teach your kids to make muffins. Don't teach your kids to make scrambled eggs. Teach your kids to measure a teaspoon of salt flat. Can you do that tomorrow? Can you do that today? Yeah, that's gonna take you three minutes. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 249 of the Anthropology Podcast. I am Dr. Megan Walker. Super excited to hang out with you today. And wow, I've got an amazing guest. Katie Kimball is someone that I had the opportunity to hang out with a few years ago. We were both speaking um, at an event called the Future of Health that took place as part of something called the Mindshare Summit. And uh, I was speaking on purpose and Katie was um, speaking to the idea of feeding our kids. How do we feed this generation of children, this generation of children who are like, I want what I want, when I want it, how do we handle the picky eaters? And she was, she not only had an amazing message, but she was such a compelling speaker, so dynamic on stage. I was elated and excited to have the opportunity to get to know her better. And finally, after almost two years of trying, Katie is joining me uh, today on the podcast. And we're talking exactly about those elements within her wheelhouse. One, entrepreneurship. How do you run a busy household and feed your kids, but not just like feed your kids, but feed your kids and nourish your kids alongside the busyness of life. And number two, how do we manage those picky eaters? How do we get them to eat their food? I don't know about you, but this is a major source of frustration in my own life, in our own family. We have three kids and we'll have two meals that they're totally happy with. And then we have like the third kid who's like, I won't eat it or the food can't touch or there can't be any sauce. We're like licking off the pasta soft off the, the meatballs. It is a whole thing. And maybe that's part of it. But Katie would say that there's actually some techniques that we can deploy in our life to make this whole part of our day so much easier. The joyful dinner we always dreamed of. I'm so excited for you to hear from her wisdom and insight. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Katie Kimball. Katie Kimball, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Thanks for having me, Megan. It's great to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. And I, you know, the last time we really like hung out was backstage at an event in the US. And what we had in common in that moment was we had this opportunity to share with this world, the thing we are most passionate about with respect to health. And, and you shared in such an incredible way, the work that you do to educate parents and kids around competency in the kitchen and getting connected to food and, and having access to higher nutrition. And I'm wondering if you can share with my listeners your story, like where did this passion come from? Why is this so important to you? What have you built in the world to make this uh, work that you can use to access more people? And then we're going to get into some of the work that you do. 
Yeah, I think my conversion story is like many people. When I was pregnant with my first, which is now 17 years ago, my kids were just asking me, how did you tell grandma and Jaja you were going to have Paul? And uh, so yeah, 17 years ago, is you hit, get hit with that realization, like every bite of food I take is going to impact this tiny life. That was the very first thing I searched at, was Google even around 17 years ago? I don't even know. But it was like, to talk what about do that. I eat when pregnant with like tears in my eyes? I was so scared and nervous. And, um, and I found the Bradley method and it talked about eggs and protein. And there's, there's 24 hours of teaching of lessons when you take the Bradley classes. And so it was, it was being thrown into the deep end in a big way. And just sort of those classes opened my eyes to the fact that perhaps eating, you know, a hamburger helper and, and bagged salad and bottled dressing was not going to serve me or my baby long term. And, and so I just started shifting in, in little and big ways and, you know, and, and making homemade baby food. You know what I mean? Just that, that idea that every bite matters so much was just deep, deeply ingrained within me. And I, I think, though, we'd had another experience that helped me really double down on the fact that real food is powerful and and modern medicine doesn't always have the answer, right? <laughs> because my husband was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in college before we got married and actually two days after college graduation, like he almost didn't get to walk across the stage. He had surgery for Crohn's disease, which is a chronic autoimmune disease for, for those who aren't familiar and of the small intestine. And so the, the surgeon, when he discharged him said, see you back in seven years. Um, which was his dismal way of stating Mm -hmm. the statistic that most Crohn's patients in about seven years need another 12 inches of intestine removed. And um, I kind of felt that was a challenge for for us. Like, uh, no, no, you're not. And we did not put him on prescriptions. And for six years, he lived life without very many symptoms at all. And then he got hit with diarrhea that wouldn't go away for two months. Prescription antidiarrheals couldn't touch it. And I heard Jordan Rubin speak in person, the author of The Maker's Diet. And this is a man who nearly died from Crohn's disease. And I came home and I walked in the door after that talk. And I said, honey, starting tomorrow, you're not eating gluten, grains, dairy, legumes, or sugar. We're going to fix you right up. And he was like, what did you do? (laughs) Where did you go? And um, I, I would love to have you guess, Megan, how long it took to see an impact from cutting those things from our diet. I was going to say three months. You would be far off. It took two days. Wow. Right? Two days. Wow. Diarrhea completely gone. Digestion better than he'd seen it in his adult life. And and that was so powerful and so immediate. We thought, okay, clearly food has an impact. Um, and, and I became even a little more jaded because I was, I was young and I was optimistic. I thought this was so exciting. And I actually called our doctor thinking I could help him. <laughs> right? Ha, ha, ha. Like, yes. like, listen, listen, doc, we figured out this thing. This is amazing. You've got to know this so you can help other patients. And they were like, do you need anything? Like, what should I write in his chart? I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of the beginning of us breaking up with the modern medicine uh, prescription for health and realizing that we needed to learn more about what we were putting in our mouths and our children's mouths. So that that kind of, yeah, that was, a, that was a really pivotal moment in, in my brain that locked into what I do today. Well, I could see why you're known as the voice of healthy kids cooking. And like your, your story with your husband, I feel like is so emblematic of the experience so many people have had. I mean, I treated Crohn's and colitis for years. And the biggest challenge I had with uh, my patients is they're like, well, 
My doctor would have mentioned it to me if my diet was influencing my symptoms and my course of disease. And I was like, that is pretty much the only thing I can guarantee in this relationship is that your, your doctor actually is not going to mention that to you. It's not part of their, it's not part of their training. It's not part of their paradigm. I'm not really sure what it's actually going to take for them to start to embrace that piece. Um, and you know, I, I practiced for 13 years and I still rarely had a Crohn's and colitis, uh, physician or gastroenterologist who was working with those patients who was actually open to this idea that what we eat was connected to what happened in our digestive system. And to me, that is like, it, I, it's just such a, it's just such a tragedy, but what it also opens the conversation towards is this opportunity to recognize that there are other people and other experts in this field who can speak to the power of nutrition and helping us drive optimal health. Cause there's a total difference between managing a disease and driving optimal health. And if we know we're not going to look to the medical establishment to help us build optimal health, then great. Let's start to look to those experts. And you are one of those experts so you got your husband well, you started to change his diet. How did you like how did you get your kids interested in food? For me, it was it was a combination of sort of a moment of desperation where I had my fourth baby and realized that I was spending so much time in the kitchen nourishing these little bodies, but I wasn't really seeing their faces very often. Like, uh, you know, and we weren't spending quality time together. And so I needed help. I needed help as, you know, as an entrepreneur and a mom and someone who is so committed to real food, I was drowning and I wasn't doing it very gracefully. Um, and then that sort of combined with my foresight, like I'm, I'm a forward thinker. And so I would, I would have daydreams about sending my kids off to college. And it's like, gosh, if I, if I only teach them what to eat. And I only teach them how to eat healthy, but they don't know how to do that for themselves. Right. It's all going to fall apart when they leave home, right? They won't have ownership and they won't be capable of nourishing themselves. So it was like, I need help, desperation, future casting. They need this. They need independence and, and capabilities. Um, and then hearing from my audience too. So I, I started blogging at Kitchen Stewardship in 2009 and had built, you know, an audience and having conversations through social media um, and through comments. I mean, through comments, there was social media wasn't even around in 2009. But um, I just I heard the similar story often that Katie, I just want to be healthy, but I, I was never taught to cook. Right. I was just never taught to cook. And I, that's kind of the story of our generation. And so I, so I thought, OK, if other moms are just barely getting comfortable in the kitchen, they're not teaching their kids either. And we're going to see this same cycle of our kids generation 20 years from now going, oh, I wish I could get healthy but I was never taught to cook. And so for me, it's all about starting those habits really young so that ideally we are preventing the chronic disease so that our kids do not have to figure out how to reverse it when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s or do not have to be taking five prescriptions right. and spending their time in doctor's offices. So for me, that's I, I, get, I get really passionate about thinking about the health of this generation and the fact that not enough people are looking at the frightening trajectory of things like depression, anxiety, obesity, you know, diabetes in children, you name it, they're going up and nobody's yeah. paying attention. Well, just that self-empowerment of like, you know, it's one thing to just say, oh, you know, my mom doesn't want me to eat this, or I didn't grow up eating that, or I'm not supposed to have that. I actually just don't know how to prepare those healthy foods for myself. And I see this all the time where I've got these moms who are so passionate. They're like, I want to do it for them. I want to do it for them. Cause that's what would happen to us. Like, I don't know about how you grew up, but all this stuff was done 
for me. And so if we carry on that piece, but give them the healthy foods, they can't necessarily access it. Here's my question for you. Like it's super practical. And now I'm being all selfish by asking it, but how do you run, like, how do you run your big business and actually make time to cook healthy foods? Because I, I like, I have been toying with getting a chef to help cook because food is so important to us and how we eat is so important to us. And it's, it's the time piece that I'm actually most challenged with. Yeah, you, me too. I would love to get a chef as well, but not quite there yet. Um, for me, it's a combination of, of delegation and time-saving hacks and then and building bit by bit, right? Like right. I could not go from the person I was when I got pregnant and was hamburger helper, you know, bottled salad girl to the person I am today in a couple of weeks, right? Or even a couple of months. So you have to build, just like you build your business, bit by bit and you build your audience bit by bit you have to build your knowledge of food bit by bit and so it's you know making one small change per week i think is about as much as people can handle i i always recommend that people start with meal planning because there's a massive mental block when you get to dinner time and you don't know what's for dinner yeah right and so knowing what's for dinner allows you to get past that thinking right you don't have to use your your decision making powers which are dwindling quickly by 5 p.m um and, and then delegation, right? So I'm, I'm very fortunate that my business is teaching kids to cook. Therefore, my kids know how to cook. So I get a night off every week. My oldest two are 13 and 16. And so they have been making dinner. Gosh, it's been three years now. Once That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so now I have a new 10-year-old. And I'm like, oh, like he, they were 9 and 12 when they started making dinner three years ago. Like now we need some new systems where, you know, the 10-year-old is starting to have more responsibility. And I don't know if he'll take half a meal. <laughs> Not quite sure how that'll work. But, um, but delegation is important. And the kids know, yeah. the kids build responsibility too. So I, that's part of good parenting. Yes. Yes. That's a gift to them. And it's a gift to me as well. I really like that idea. And it's totally something that we can implement is that they get they get a meal a week that they're responsible for. And we can talk about how to pull those things together. And I'm really happy to help teach them to do that. I'm actually like it for me, it's like a practical thing. And my husband and I were talking about it yesterday. We're like, if if we are going to have dinner on the table at five o'clock, and I never thought I'd be a dinner on the table at five o'clock family. But my five year old is so hypoglycemic by 502. That if we don't have dinner ready, everything in our life falls apart. So uh -huh. now we're like to get dinner on the table for five o'clock, I have to stop working at 345. And this is where it's like, it's managing all of the it's just managing all these pieces, which I feel like is such a real component. But the meal planning part and the prep beforehand, you guys can all prep dinner on a Sunday afternoon, like those hacks really do. They do work. Is that part of your system to do that? To the batch cook, the patch, the batch cooking and, and all of these different pieces? So I am, I play an organized person on the internet. I am so not an organized person. It's disaster. The truth so comes no, out. No, I, I don't do that prepping ahead. Um, what I do, I think what I do is like, I like to give little gifts to myself later. So if I am making soup, you better believe it's going to be a double batch. And for sure we have enough for maybe a leftovers meal or we freeze for another meal, right? That's the gift to later, Katie, <laughs> because something's already made. So again, I'm not, I'm not spending dedicated time, but I generally double everything I do. If I'm chopping a pepper and they're right now, like peppers in Michigan are abundant at the farmer's Amazing. market. Well, I'm going to have six. And if I have to chop one for a meal, I'll probably chop two or three more and throw them in the freezer. And that's a gift to later Katie, but without having to plan a special block of time. Does that make sense? 
Totally. And that's just so much easier for me to wrap my head around than every Sunday afternoon. I'm in the kitchen while everyone else is out playing, trying to get all of these pieces. Yeah. Well, and if you teach your kids to cook and you do the batch cooking, which is beautiful and it works well for a lot of families, you're not in the kitchen by yourself. Right. You're in the kitchen with the kids because they have knife skills and they can be peeling and measuring and stuff like that. Um, So so it's again, it's just all these little hacks that stack up. Of course, the Instant Pot slow cooker are gifts right from God to busy moms. (laughs) Um, And they and they help an awful lot along with a great big grass fed roast that you don't need to prep. Just throw it in and dump some seasonings on top. That's that's kind of my favorite kind of meal and then a few different veggie sides. So the kids have choices. That's important to me. If the kids have choices, then it's okay if they don't like the main course. It's okay if they don't appreciate one or two of the sides. There's always something that they can eat to fill themselves up and nourish their bodies. Yeah. The the choice piece actually has been an instrumental game changer in our family to move out of any of the arguments with respect to food. Cause I will, I refuse to make multiple. I've already, de- I've already declared my challenge with getting healthy food on the table before five Oh two every evening. But as soon as we've got different palates and different preferences, like it has been a game changer, really giving them tons of choice in terms of how they do things. Katie, I'm wondering if you can share Like you have such a compelling mission. You just literally stepped off a Ted stage uh, talking about your mission in the world. Share with us a little bit about your experience getting to that TEDx stage. And then also this, like this passion that you have your, your mission that you really do want to spread around the country. Yeah. I mean, my mission is to get every kid to cook. And unfortunately, and and I love talking to entrepreneurs because I can talk like marketing language, you know, the pain point, right? What are the pain points of your audience? Unfortunately, no one, hardly anyone, except maybe a few homeschoolers are walking around or or up at night going, oh, I wish I could teach my kids to cook. Like, it's unfortunately not a pain point. And so that is a huge challenge as a business person because I have to start at square zero. Right. And I have to educate my way to them, even (laughs) desiring what I have to share at all. So I have double the work of most entrepreneurs, um, but that's okay. That's okay. So, so for me, I have to figure out what is the pain point that's keeping parents up at night. And it's kind of what you just said. You, you said the opposite of what lots of parents are experiencing. You said, I will not cook two meals, right? I, oh, will, I not will not short order cook. Yeah. Megan, you would not believe how many parents are cooking two or even three different meals every night. And, and so that's where, I've discovered that parents really do care with their heart of hearts about picky eating, right? So for me, picky eating is the entry point into me being able to say, okay, you have picky eaters. Here are some strategies you can use. By the way, the best strategy is to get your kids involved in the kitchen. And so I've had to evolve sort of what I teach and how I teach over the years to picky eating. And and I think I got a pretty good thing going. I did a challenge in April with 3,000 families which is how wow. I know lots of them are short order cooking. <laughs> right. Like knock me down with a feather, short order cooking and putting screens in front of the children and feeding them, hand feeding children up to age eight or 10. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, don't do that. That is absolutely not a good habit. <laughs> no. Okay. We need to break down the screen thing, but I'm going to just share. So I'm so surprised by this short order cook thing, but I will give the context for The reason I made the decision that I wasn't going to do this when I had kids before I had kids. And believe me, a lot of us, we prejudge how we're going to parent before we have where we are parents. So like, I'll give it that caveat of of the hundred things I declared. This is the one that held true, but I worked 
I had a cl- cottage cleaning business when I was growing up and I worked for this one family and they had multiple kids. And I remember one day at lunch, she said to me, do you mind making them a quick sandwich? And I was like, of course, no problem. Like they're down at the water. Your husband's away. You don't have any other help course. And she was like, great. This kid uses this bread and this kid uses this bread and this kid uses this bread. And they had four kids and four different types of bread from four different bakeries. And I stopped him. I was like, no, like no way. Because to me, I was like, if I have to cook four different meals for four different kids, this is a massive barrier to me doing anything else in the world. And I'm going to do things in the world besides cook food for my kids. So it was like, it was just so deep. This I was like, I'll let every other promise I make go as in like my kids will never whine. They'll never, of course I do all those things. But I was like, I am not, I'm not buying four loaves of bread for four different, uh, for four different kids. And when I had my first kid, she ate everything. She eats oysters. She likes escargot. And we were like, we are great parents. Like, what did we do? And then I had my second kid and she won't touch anything. If it has sauce, she won't eat it. If it touches other food, she won't eat it. If the chocolate chips aren't like the right kind of chocolate chips, she won't eat it. And so we realized we just like, we just got lucky with a good eater on our first kid and our subsequent ones have all of these complexes, but I, everything I bring to the table, literally and figuratively, is around this rule of like, I'm not cooking multiple meals. And that's where we learn, like you have to provide them with lots of different choice and options. They get to be part of the the meal planning for the week. They get to vote on any given meal. So if we toss, we sometimes toss meals out. We're like, okay, that'll never be a repeat meal because we didn't get everybody's vote. So we, I have gone to the end of the earth to not have to cook two meals. So that's the context around that, that piece. Cause I'm not, I'm not judging out any other parents who are doing those. It just, that was like the one stake in the ground that I was not. Yeah. I'm not well, going to budge loaves on. of bread. That was a pretty powerful experience for you as a young person to say, there do I not go. <laughs> there will I not go. Precisely. Can we just talk about the screen thing for a piece for just a second? Because I do, I know, I know we're busy and I know this is like such an easy thing can we just talk about the dangers of screens and eating happening at the same time? Absolutely. Um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it is alarming how many families do not sit down at the dinner table and do not sit down together. I I think it's more than 50% of American meals are eaten away from the dinner table or away from the family, whether that's the car, whether that's the couch, whether that's everyone going to their room, which even saying that breaks my heart that a family would come and grab a plate and each go to their own rooms independently. Uh, like isolation is not good for us. Do we use screens? Yeah, totally. People do. And the dangers are, number one, that's mindless eating. We talk about mindfulness all the time. And when it comes to eating, we need to be mindful of how full we're getting. We need to be mindful of chewing and salivating and allowing our digestive system to get kicked in. And when we're mindlessly eating, the risk of overeating is definitely there. For kids, sometimes the risk of undereating is there because they're just watching their show and they're Mm -hmm. not paying attention to their food, right? And then certainly when parents are using the screen as specifically as a distraction so that they can spoon feed the child, the child is not building a relationship with food nor with the parents, but they have no relationship and they have no ownership of food. So what I like to tell parents is, as long as you are cool going to college with your 18 year old and spoon feeding him or her, keep that habit up, girlfriend. Otherwise, forgive yourself, give Mm -hmm. yourself grace. We all fall into bad habits and stop it. (laughs) Change it today because that is definitely not serving, not serving anyone physically, psychologically or emotionally. We have to break that habit. And there's, there's, 
I'm just going to talk medically for one second. There is no child on the planet who requires a screen in order to nourish themselves. Thank you. They're just, it's just not, it's not, it's not an evolutionary necessity to put food in our mouth, but the food, I'm just going to come, you can be gentler. I'm just going to tough love this one. You got to, you got to just pull the screens and it's going to suck for two weeks and then it's going to get better. And as we make that transition, so now I've pulled the rug out and I'm going to come to you for support, but in that, in making that transition and you work with so many of these parents, what is going to make that easier? Like, how do we go from, I don't have the best habits in our family and routines to get kids to eat. And, and it creeps up on us, right? We, we do it when we've got like two kids and one's 18 months and this is happening over here. And then suddenly we're like, Oh gosh, like, I think I need to get control out of this. How do we help give parents back that control? Like what are some of the techniques that you help put in place for them? Yeah. So I do a picky eating challenge twice a year. And so it's five days. And what I love is that after just day one, the action step that I give parents, people will come back on day two and say, oh my gosh, that that made a difference. Like my kids are eating about 25% to 50% more at dinner. Not all parents, many of us need like all the steps. Um, but step one is called prepare the space. And it's it's just about dialing in snack time and making sure that your kids aren't eating too much or too close to a meal. Because if they're not hungry, Dinner is optional and it does not matter how much love you put into that homemade food, mama. <laughs> they don't care. They can too right. easily say no. Same if they're allowed to come back to the kitchen half an hour after the meal, right? If they know yes. they're going to back for some munchy crunchy crackers or chips half an hour later, dinner is optional and that's the last thing we want. So we talk about a snack time rule and separating that out. And, and sometimes, again, for some families, that is literally the only problem and that you just don't see it because you're in it. You're too close, right? Right, um, and so so there's a whole process. It's uh, really really powerful when parents understand the division of responsibility, which I did not create. That's Ellen Satter, but that's okay. We can all we can all use it. I like to practically teach people how the philosophy can be applied. So the division of responsibility says that parents are responsible, the adults are responsible for what is served, when you eat, and where you eat, and that is where your responsibility ends. This is a huge weight off of mama's shoulders, as you know, Megan, because we worry so much about how much our kids eat, right? Right. Yeah. How much they eat is their responsibility. And when we, when anybody tries to cross lanes, when we let them decide when they eat or what is served, or if we try to determine or force how much they eat, that's when power struggles happen. And that's when the real picky eating problems occur. Picky eating is not about the food. Generally, it is most often about the environment, the relationships, the power struggles, and what we give our kids, which has to be choice and agency and just the right amount of control in the right area. So when Mm -hmm. when parents start to understand that, not only is it just a, a measure of grace poured out, right? Oh my goodness, wait, I'm not responsible for how much they eat? You're kidding. Like this is this is lightning for for parents' souls. Um, but also to see that in action. And again, I teach like really practical steps to enact that philosophy. But when parents start to see that in action and they'll say, I I didn't think I could do it, right? I have all these, these, we do this in a Facebook group, right? And so we have all this conversation and parents are sharing pictures of the meal. Like, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could keep my mouth shut and not say, you know, eat the broccoli, get the chocolate kind of thing. And then I did it and look at this, you know, there's hardly anything left on my child's plate and my child never eats dinner or, My child's never picked up a red pepper in his life. And because I kept out of it, because I kept my poker face, which is another one of my steps, 
he picked up a red pepper and and he ate it. It's amazing. Like it's just it's miraculous to see these changes happen in parents. And that's what I love about my job, you know, is getting to see the transformation. And then, of course, as a business person, I want to teach them to cook, too. So that's that's the you know, the kicker at the end is if you really want your kids to have a great relationship with food, right. get them away from the table, get them in the kitchen, making friends with their food and, and becoming capable. Okay. So let's talk about that transition. So first of all, I love this and I get caught in this too. Like I, so many power struggles happen at the, at the dinner table and we, we get emotional. It doesn't matter how much theoretical knowledge you have around these pieces. You're just like, just, just eat it. Like I've been, I've been working for you all day. And then I just made you this meal and it was ready by five Oh one. Like you have to eat it. So, um, listen, like we all fall into that trap. Talk to me about how we teach kids to cook, because this is another one where I'm like, it's 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 just easier if I do it myself. Um, and that that catches up on you. That catches up on you, too. How do we make that transition? Well, you I mean, you said it how most moms say it. It's faster and easier if I do it myself. My kids will be messy. My, my kids will be slow. And that's a huge mental block um, for me. It, it is. It's all about the thinking. How do we take the thinking roadblock out of this? And I think we break it down into simple steps. Don't teach your kids to make muffins. Don't teach your kids to make scrambled eggs. Teach your kids to measure a teaspoon of salt flat. Can you do that tomorrow? Can you do that today? Yeah, that's going to take you three minutes. Okay, tomorrow, now teach your kids how to stir without popping the flour all over the house. That's it, just stirring, keeping their left hand on the bowl. I always say, oh, your left thumb, that has such an important job. Where is it? You know, you can you can make it fun. But you don't don't teach your kids to cook. Teach your kids the basic skills they need. So that's that's my superpower, really, as an educator. I'm I'm trained as an elementary educator originally before I did all this online entrepreneurial stuff, and uh, that's my superpower. Is how do we break a big task down into little building blocks, and then how do we take each of those building blocks and give it steps? So if I teach a three year old right. to carry a plate, it's a four step process. <laughs> but they carry right. the plate right and they don't spill their food and they don't drop their plates most of the time. You know, it's funny there. I feel like every business goes to this stage too, where you will not grow until you actually learn to pass a skill set on to someone new. Like you don't have to own all of the skill sets to be a successful business. You do at first, it's a real advantage, but then really quickly, it actually is the thing that slows you, uh, slows you down. So as you know, you were talking about the struggle of like, yeah, they're going to make a mess and yeah, it's going to take 20 more plates and yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all like, that's the same awkward phase we go in our businesses when we hire someone new and we've got this, we got a messy kitchen for three months until they find their, until they start to find their place. So it, it just, the, the parallels, especially because we have an audience, it's just entrepreneurs, the parallels between what happens to us parenting and as happening in the, or being leaders in our business, I find are so, um, are find are so striking. I've got one last question for you, Katie, before we start to move into something I call our KPIs. What's wrong with the way kids are eating nowadays? Like when you look at it, big picture, we talked about screens, we talked about not having autonomy in the kitchen, but like if you could just, if you actually could go in and start to micromanage people's food, well, what would you tell parents? Did you say what's wrong with the way kids are eating? Mm-hmm. Okay, I missed that word. I mean, highly processed foods. Right. That's that's the simple answer, right? What did I just see? 60% of the food kids norm, like average Americans eat in the day? 68%? 68. Okay. I just saw that study too. Is highly processed foods. Yeah. And that's not food, folks. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you can't take it from the ground or from something that eats food in the ground and 
get it to your kitchen in some way without a factory. Yeah, that's not food. And so what does highly processed food do? It tricks kids' palates. It trains their palates toward just the high sugar, the high fat, the fake, you know, preservatives and and MSG and MSG-like whatever chemicals. And they don't have an appreciation anymore for the nuances, the subtle sweetness and the beautiful, you know, moisture or whatever of a watermelon or a cherry tomato or a plum from the farmer's market. Um, they, they're so disconnected. So the highly processed foods have become this incredible wall between kids and the way their food grows and, and the way they should be interacting with their food, which again is that's why we need to get them involved. Their, their hands need to get in the food and their creative minds too need to learn how to, how to twist and tweak recipes. You know, parents, I, I get to hear from a lot of parents who are teaching their kids to cook, obviously, in my Facebook group. And it's so fun to hear them say, you know, my daughter took this pancake recipe, did some research on science and figured out how to make it into waffles. What you need to do, right? Awesome. To, you need to add to pancakes, make it to waffles. Or they, you know, they added some new seasonings and they created a soup out of their own mind. That is so empowering for kids. And if you want to raise entrepreneurs, oh, you, all the skills you need for entrepreneurship, you can learn and fail at in the kitchen as a kid and build those that skill set as well. On that mic drop right there, that if you want to raise entrepreneurs, get them competent in the kitchen so that they can rise and fall and try things and it doesn't all have to work out. I've got four rapid fire questions for you. And I call these our KPIs. I know, don't be nervous. So just like we have key performance indicators in our business, I think we have them in how we live our lives as well in terms of the ideas that we have in the world that we live in. And so my first question for you, Katie, is, is there a book or an idea that has profoundly shifted your thinking within the last year? Within the last year? Hmm. I don't know <laughs> I don't know that I've read any good books within the last year. Um, I I love the TED Talk by, oh, who is it? Sir, it's about education. It's about how education in schools is more like a factory for minds. Education kills creativity. I forget who the speaker is, but that one, that one's pretty intense to watch. And it really makes you think about the messaging coming out at us about education um, that's very different than that. We're going to track it down. We'll find it for the show notes. Good. What is your favorite health hack? What's the thing you just won't miss? Favorite health hack would be incorporating collagen into my daily routine. I, if I miss it, my fingernails all start to get all funky and I can't open spice lids anymore with them. So that's uh, <laughs> that's important to me. Keep the collagen in, keep the fingernails healthy. I love it. How would you define your purpose? My purpose is to raise children who are healthy, independent adults who can make a difference in their world, who have who are competent um, and and mission driven themselves. Amazing. And last question for you: Entrepreneurship. Are we born this way, or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Both. And I, I think I was born this way. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And my dad was, he owned a car dealership, but my husband is the complete opposite. He's absolutely a computer programmer and he has become an entrepreneur and he's, he's learning. So I write his emails for him sometimes and he fixes all my tech problems. 
That sounds like a perfect entrepreneurial partnership <laughs> in 2021. Katie Kimball, you're doing so many amazing things in this world. Where can we send people to follow along? Yeah, come on over to kitchenstewardship.com. That is where I help families stay healthy without going crazy. So that's for busy moms to learn the health hacks, to save time, to figure out research on what's healthy and what's not, and how to save money as well, because budget has to be in that balancing act, of course. And then kidscookrealfood.com is where we really connect families around healthy food and teach kids to cook. Amazing. I am heading there now. And I'm also I'm like, I need to find out about this picky eater challenge because I'm going to participate in that next time you've got that going down. Katie, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. And you know what, we actually have a little free gift for your entrepreneurs at kidscookrealfood.com slash anthropology. Um, and that's a little little explanation of how I delegate email to my VA. I love that. Well, that is perfect and on point. It gives you more time to be able to cook. You're going to be able to find all of those at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Katie, thanks for hanging out. It's been great, Megan. Thank you. I told you she was great. Katie really is absolutely amazing. I love her techniques. I've been deploying them in our own lifestyle because let's be honest, we recorded this a few weeks ago and I've had a chance to try them out. And um, all of these elements really, uh, really work. I've also just started to be so much more patient when it comes to dinner. I've managed my own expectations with respect to what it is that uh, we are going to quote unquote create uh, in the kitchen. And I've let the kids really start to pull together the menu plan for the week, which has been a huge, huge game changer for us in terms of how they react to the food that is coming their way. If they designed the meal plan, they're not allowed to complain about it. And it's actually been super helpful. All of the links to anything I talked about with Katie are available in our show notes, which you can grab at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, like any of our episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us not just a five-star review, but your thoughts. That's what helps us reach more people. Until next week, have an impactful week ahead and we'll chat with you again soon.